Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thrive in EDU podcast. I'm Rochelle Danae Post, and I'm excited today because I have a guest with me for today's episode. Thank you if you've been listening, and if this happens to be your first episode, I hope that you will continue to listen and also go back and listen to prior episodes where I either talk about things in my classroom with myself or have some different guests, and there's a lot of different topics. So without taking any more time, we're going to dive into today's episode because I have a guest with me, and my guest is Hal Speed, who is the head of North America for Robotical. So first, I would like to welcome you to the podcast, Hal. (laughs) Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so um, we might cover a lot of different topics today, and The thing that I love about the time of year when we're actually having this conversation is that I've always said it's a great time for teachers to dive in and try new things. So I'm hoping that people who are listening will get some new ideas, will take some chances, take some risks, explore some resources, and share this episode and ideas that they get um, with anybody that they think can benefit from it. So uh, everybody that knows my podcast knows about me, but since you are my guest, I would love if you would tell us a little bit about your background, Uh, you know, like your role, your experience in education with computer science, anything that you would like our listeners to know. Yeah, and and, and I've got kind of a unique perspective. So I came out of the high-tech industry initially. So I used to work for high-tech companies like AMD and Dell Computers and Texas Instruments. And it wasn't until I started to notice that, children around me were not getting exposed to computer science education, I had just kind of taken it for granted as a high exec, high tech exec and a parent that this was a, a modern day skill that we we're teaching in the 21st century. Um, and then when I realized that's not the case in, in our public school systems, then I, I started becoming a, a super volunteer to advocate for computing and computer science and STEM. Um, and that eventually led me to to have a day job now where I, I'm able to do that and help teachers and students bring STEM into their classroom. Yeah, and I, I love that because, well, talking about your experience and then I think about in my own like work that I do, you know, as a kid to now, I mean, when I was a kid, I would have never thought that I would be a teacher, let alone teaching Spanish and STEAM because I took French in high school. And often whenever I have conversations or people find out like that I'm teaching Spanish and STEAM, they're often surprised, like, how did that happen? And, you know, what's your interest in it? And it's like, I'm not going to say the decade or anything, but I got really into coding and computers and I've always loved technology. And I see the changes that we've seen over the past X amount of years. We'll say since the last century at this point, we won't put numbers on it. Uh, And I love just thinking about like the possibilities with students. And then the other component of it that I think is important for anybody listening is like, you don't have to be a teacher of one of the like STEM core areas and you don't have to be in a certain grade level because I used to say like, I'm just a Spanish teacher. I can't do these types of things. And I love that you bring this experience where you have like all of these different aspects, like in the business world, you know what the educators are experiencing and looking at and then coming at it as a parent um, and all of these different components. So I think that is going to make for a very interesting and rich conversation today. So I'm excited about it. and what really, okay. I mean, what really drives me is that social economic mobility as well. So, so I, we, your viewers, listeners, you know, probably know what an enabler education can be, but in the digital age, this has now become the the foundational skill 
to help catapult the youth to a, a better social economic lifestyle um, than maybe their parents could have. And, and so if we're not bringing this skill into the schools and into public education, then those students are going to miss out and you know, we're just going to continue this, this digital divide right. as our society gets more and more sophisticated technology wise. And, and now with artificial intelligence coming on the scene, um, we've got a lot of, of room to catch up on. We do. And with the AI, I mean, I have been presenting on it and writing about it for, I guess, about five years now. And I didn't really know that much when I started to teach about it. But I built my confidence up, you know, with each passing conference or class that I've taught. And now it's just everybody is like they're hungry for knowledge. They're not sure where to begin uh, or what levels to begin with. And I think it's important, you know, for educators and for families too to know, like, there are resources out there and it's up for, it's up to everybody to provide opportunities for students, for all students to have these opportunities, which is, yes. you know, kind of what you touched on. And before I dive into like my next real question, uh, your background, so I don't want to give away a lot of information, but you have a really interesting background of experiences in all different aspects dealing with coding and with computer science and with STEM and just a lot of other things that I could list. So what for you has been something that maybe motivated you more or inspired you to like get more involved in computer science in STEM? Like what was the thing that kind of like hooked you in if you could share? Yeah, well, I, I think the overarching vision around the social economic mobility was the, the driving force, but the, the real kind of inflection point was when code.org started their computer science fundamentals class for elementary school, so for kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, and they created a, a cohort of affiliates, uh, our facilitators that would go out and help train elementary school teachers to bring the curriculum into the classroom. And so I was lucky enough to be included in that first cohort with code.org and got to meet many of the, the players that had been working on this problem for decades in the computer science education movement. And so from there, really things just started to snowball. Um, my, my network expanded. I, I was still working um, in high tech at the time and, and doing that on a volunteer basis. Um, but as I learned more about it and, and learned more just about how public education works and how it's different at every state and how to implement change at a systemic level, um, that was really the, the spark at code.org, I think, that started my journey. Yeah, and the code.org is a, a great site. And I had not, you know, I, I was teaching STEAM, but the STEAM class that I was teaching was focused on uh, just one tool that we were using. And then it wasn't until the following year where I was able to bring in, I, was ch I changed the course. I made it like, what's next in emerging technology? So I could teach about all of these things that you're talking about, you know, coding, artificial intelligence, uh, and a lot of other of these emerging topics that we're seeing in education. But code.org was the first place that I went to because like hour of code in December. Right. And the idea of, I mean, for me, I was like, Oh, it's hour of code. Okay. We did that hour of code. Okay. We're good. But, uh, it that's to inspire people to kind of like hook kids in even educators and i love i think it's on their site too it talks like anybody from this age to like over 100 or something like can code there's the resources that are available but i you know i had this misconception about it i guess is what i'm trying to say and so 
what is or what do you think is a, a big misconception when it comes to STEM or computer science in schools? Yeah, it is. I think a lot of kind of what you're touching on this, what I would kind of summarize as an adult problem. <laughs> the, the kids are, are ready and willing to, to learn these skills. It, it's the, the older people in the system that grew up in, in a different era, in a different style of schooling. And so the, the adults need to change their mindset, um, whether that's administrator, administrators, policymakers, or individual classroom teachers. Um, the, the adults in the system need to get aligned to where the society is headed, where technology is headed, and, and how do we start preparing or better preparing the, the youth for the society that they're going to, to grow up and live in. Yeah, and that, <laughs> I laugh when you say like adults, because there are so many times where I've said, I tried this in my classroom, or I tried this in my classroom, I made mistakes, but that's, that's the me now. Years ago, I was kind of hesitant to do any of those things. And I figured out what the problem was. And I would say, well, it was me, like I was in the way I wasn't willing to dive in and take some risk because I thought that I had to be an expert, or I had to know everything that there was about it to start. And you're right, like the, the kids are ready. Like you might think, well, they're only in third grade, like they can't do, they can. Like I've been in Zoom meetings with a friend of mine, teaches elementary school to do a book reading for them. And before you knew it, all of their backgrounds were of me because they were screenshotting me. And then they were doing all the social media and all these things. And it's like, they've grown up with the technology and they learn so fast. And as adults, I mean, sometimes I think, and I admit this too, you know, like I hindered their opportunities for kind of pursuing some interests that they might have and not know about because I, I wasn't willing to dive in because I thought like it didn't pertain to me or I don't know, like, what am I going to do if I don't know the answer to a question they have? And as an educator, I think, you know, that is uncomfortable. I know it is because I've been in that, that space, but it's also so rewarding whenever, you know, just enough to get started and then the kids just take it and they go in their own direction. And then you peek over their shoulder and you kind of like look and learn from them and, and see them develop as leaders and be excited for learning. And then that kind of, I, I think it does, at least in many conversations I've had, it ends up pulling the teachers in more because when you see that reaction with the kids, it's like you want to keep providing for them. But like until you take that first leap, if you haven't done that yet, like it is hard. It is kind of scary a little bit. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that, at Robotical that we really pride ourselves on. We have a, a humanoid robot called Marty that allows not just the students to get the quick wins, because I'm sure you've talked on here, but more about how do you get those quick wins to build engagement and excitement with the students. But equally as important is giving the educator the quick wins and the boost the educator's confidence of, yes, I can teach coding. I can teach robotics. I can do this with my students. And, and so together, having a, a tool like that, that bring both the, the student and the educator together. Yeah, and I'm glad that you bring up Marty because I I knew about Marty and I had seen Marty, but I didn't have a Marty. And I had told my students, because like I said, we do a lot of different things. Coding is a big part of what we do throughout the year. And so is artificial intelligence and augmented virtual reality. But uh, we had been working on coding. We started with code.org. And actually a lot of them now, 
have had a couple of years experience using code.org. So I wanted to bring something new in. And I remember the day that I got my Marty and I opened the box. I was so excited just seeing him. And then when I took him into the classroom, I didn't even say anything. I just had him standing on my desk in the front of the room. And my students came in and like instantly, like they just sensed there was something else in the room. And they're like, what is that? Can we see it? And I'm thinking, okay, please be careful, you know, but I just, I just let them go with it and um, had an iPad, you know, let them kind of figure it out, use the cards and everything. And we could talk more about that too. But I, I really didn't, other than bringing him in and setting him there and making sure he was charged, like, that's all I did. And when they asked me questions about it, I'm like, well, go ahead, figure it out. And then before you know it, like, they had it already programmed, decorated. I mean, they had so many stickers on my poor Marty, <laughs> but, um, but it did, it, there was a sense of like an ease for me as a teacher, even though I know a lot about these tools, I don't know everything. And something like this, like where the kids come in and they see it, like you've said nothing about it. You just have it there. It's kind of like a hook yep. and then it, it draws them in. Um, it helps to build confidence. So do you have any other you know, like similar stories or things that you can share about like that type of experience for uh, that educators go through when they do something like bring Marty in? Oh, it was, it was just magical uh, to, to see young kids, especially um, with Marty, because like you said, they, they just take to it. They There's really no filter, no apprehension, because it is so easy and, and so inviting. And it's kind of what they expect a robot to be <laughs> in their mind. If they're uh, six or seven years old, they expect a robot to have legs and arms and eyes and not just be a, a car that can drive around on the floor. Um, when I was at the, the Microbit Foundation, we kind of also had that aha moment to where when a, a student could scroll their name on the screen as one of their first programming activities. And, and so seeing something that they coded come to life in hardware, right. um, that was the, the spark that once you got them there, um, it, it just you could see the energy and they, they just light up. Yeah, the um, and it's not like I know often you might see something and, and without even knowing about like, oh, well, that looks like it's for younger kids or that looks too advanced for, you know, the students that I'm teaching. But really, you know, the, the students that I work with are eighth graders and I've had other tools that I've brought in that have been for, you know, younger students than that and older students and the kids, they all, they're just excited about it. It's something different. It puts the learning in their hands. It gives them opportunity to be creative. And, uh, you know, when it comes to coding, I mean, teachers may be kind of like, I don't know about this. You know, that's not like in my wheelhouse, but we have kids that feel like that too. I have a lot of students now and in the past who've said, I'm not going to be any good at this. You know, I'm not going to be able to figure this out. And I always say, well, you have like, how do you know? Like we need, yeah, where, where does that message come from? Right. We, we, when people say, well, I'm not a math person or I'm not good at math. I mean, this is not acceptable answers. Right. I know. <laughs> we, you've got to be decent at math. You've got to understand coding. You have to understand technology. So, so it's just a given um, so I, I'm not sure where this starts in our society, but I, we're doing what we can as, as part of, of robotical. And a lot of the, the people in the CS education community and the, the broader STEM ecosystem to, to make STEM easy and accessible and to change some of these paradigms that right. people have. Yeah. And um, I, I wish I knew the answer to the question, like, where does that come from? And I don't know. You know, and I'll say things like this. Some of the, you know, my young, the girl students, female students will say, 
well, I'm, I'm not going to be any good at this, or I, I shouldn't try coding because it's for boys only. Like these are actual things that people over the years have said. And I will always say, have you ever heard of Grace Hopper? <laughs> and then we dive into a conversation or something. But then I had, I've had students uh, in this year, especially as well, where one quote was to the effect of, I wish I wasn't so good at this because I really don't like it. And I said, well, what do you mean? And I said, you don't like coding? And the student said, no, I like it. I just wish that I wasn't good at it because I'm trying hard not to like it. And I said, I really don't understand that. Like, you may not necessarily like it yet, but like there are people that need these skills like in places of work or these are the skills that are in demand. I said, but it's more than that too. Like, it's not just about the coding. There's all these other things that you're building in the process that you can apply in other areas of life and prepare for the future. Yeah, it's much more th than that. And, and that's a, a point I, I'd really like to reinforce is that, at least from my perspective, I'm not doing this to create future programmers in jobs, right? You don't teach biology and say, well, you don't need to learn biology because you're not going to be a professional biologist or, or you don't need to learn music because you're not going to be a professional musician. It's you, we have this, again, this paradigm and, and it's society, it's legacy, it's history that ha has said that this is a specialized field that only a certain number of people need to learn. And that's no longer the case because software is everywhere. Um, the interaction between hardware and software dominates our lives. And so we've got to, to make this a, a mainstream learning opportunity, just like these other subjects that I mentioned, right. not with the goal that you're going to grow up and be a professional programmer necessarily, but you're going to learn how the technology works. You're going to learn computational thinking and systematic problem solving and, and these other softer skills that are part of this that allow you to be a, a better contributor to society. And I'll go back to my point and hopefully then have a, a higher social economic status later in life. Yeah. And the other thing that, and again, I always call myself out on some of these things too, because like I would think, well, I can't do this because I'm just a Spanish teacher or it's just one more thing or I can't fit it in or any of those things. And what I love about a lot of these, you know, talk about Marty, for example, is you may have like in our schools, we're talking about, we want students to develop, you know, STEM skills or social emotional learning skills or and then, you know, the 21st century, which we're well into it or looking at the World Economic Forum, you know, the skills that, you know, yes. for 2025 and all of those. And I think sometimes we overlook the fact that like sometimes it just takes like one resource, one tool that enables you to hit on all of that without having to go to all these different spaces. And I know that like I don't always think of it that way, or sometimes teachers you know, and any educator might not see it that way because you say, oh, it's a robot and I'm coding, but what else is happening? Like, am I having students work together? Okay, now they're collaborating. Are they building relationships? Okay, now I've got social emotional learning. So it, you're right. It does, you know, do you, of course, we would like, I tell my students, I would love to have people become Spanish teachers because we need them. And we would love to have people go into like coding and become programmers because those skills, STEM skills are in demand. But at the end of the day, we know not everybody's going to do that. Right. So what is like, what are the benefits? And you were hitting on them, I mean, right off the bat. So anything else that you wanted to add to that about like embracing these types of opportunities and why that matters? 
Yeah, it's just part of a well-rounded education in the 21st century in the, the digital age. Um, and you mentioned the World Economic Forum data. They've got their 21st century skills um, predictions, which include a, a component around computing literacy, um, which includes computer programming. And then just a couple of weeks ago, they released their Future of Jobs reports that really shows the the rise of importance that employers are putting on artificial intelligence and data science and things like that. Right. Yeah. The, uh, I, I often, I even have it on my wall, not that you can see it, but I have in a presentation I've done, I had like the 2022 skills outlook and then I had the 2025 skills outlook. And I had one from like years and years ago, but I also looked at some of the jobs, the outlook for that as well. And it was talking about like artificial intelligence, like number one skill in demand and how there is a need for you know schools to provide resources and opportunities for all students in grades K through 12 or pre-K through 12 to engage in some type of learning that's focused on STEM. And so, I mean, there's lots of resources out there. We mentioned code.org, of course we have Marty. Um, anything else that you would recommend like for teachers you know, who are thinking about, okay, I wanna teach my content area, but I know I'm preparing students for the future and I should probably bring in some STEM. Like, do you have any tips for educators uh, or families even too, as we are heading into summer breaks potentially? Yeah, there, there's so many tools now. I, I, I talk to uh, adults and we'll get the, oh my gosh, I, I wish this would have existed when I was in school. Um, it's something like Marty, that a humanoid robot that is a, a relatively new tool started in the UK and, and has only been in the US really in earnest in the past couple of years. Um, you know, at a high level, I, I would emphasize when it comes to, to STEM, the, the hands-on component. I'm, I'm sure you've talked on here about project-based learning, but I, I think it's critically important that we connect the hardware and the software together. Um, so, some of the, the software-only tools are, are great. They're better than nothing. Um, but I would encourage educators to integrate hardware with the software whenever they have an opportunity, um, whether that's building systems to, to do engineering work and structures, um, whether that's uh, physical computing or robotics, but making sure that the students get that connection that the hardware and the software are working together. I, I think part of kind of the, the mobile phone generation is we've abstracted away a lot of the hardware. Okay. They just assume the hardware is there, it's a, a piece of glass. And the, the real interaction between the user is all kind of software-based. Right. And I think as the education system needs to help explain what's going on behind the glass. Um, and so like um, if you've ever played games where you tilt your phone to to have your character move to the, the side or something like that. So that's an accelerometer that's in the phone. That's the same type of technology that's in Marty's head. That's an accelerometer. And then we go a step further at, at Robotical where we have a, a sensor dashboard where the students and the educator can see in real time the same sensor data that Marty is able to see. Okay. Uh, and so we'll, we can take some of these relatively abstract concepts like acceleration and plot it on a graph and show, okay, when I move Marty, 
here's how the acceleration changes. Or, or when Marty's just setting, here's how the acceleration of gravity is acting on Marty. You know, we don't see that mm -hmm. with our eyes, but it's present and, and using the technology and the sensors and then the sensor dashboard, we can bring that relatively abstract concept in and show it in a way that students and educators can understand. Yeah, and I uh, something else too, when you said project-based learning, I was thinking that was another one of those things where it's like, SEL, project, like add them to the list and you can really, and it can be overwhelming because there are so many things educators are trying to do just in their normal daily work of preparing their lessons for their classes. And then to think like, oh, I have, I want to add on these four other things. Well, it might be four other like topics, themes, focus areas, but you can bring it down into one learning experience or bring Marty in and there's all of these possibilities with it. And the other thing I love about you know, tools like Marty is that you don't, you know, everybody worries about like the screen time of being you know, on the devices because we're all guilty of it. We're connected to the devices, but you have the screen free option. So even the youngest kids can learn like, well, how does it move? And how does it, how does it read like the cards? And no, my favorite, I'm not going to lie is the dance that he does. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to like make them repeat that over and over, but, um, but it's, it's a really good way for hands-on and to have multiple ways. I think for students to learn about coding. Uh, and also because you may have students who are kind of apprehensive, like I'm not gonna be able to do it. And it gives everybody something to work with based on their interests and you know their comfort level. And then maybe they wanna start with the basics and then they can build their confidence and their comfort level as they go. And I think that's important too, to give all students that chance to like explore it, even if they're a little bit hesitant. And that goes for educators as well. Like it's okay for us to dive in with the kids too, like I said before. Yeah, and, and that's why the unplugged lessons are, do provide those really quick wins. Uh, just right out of the box with Marty, put the battery in, turn it on, and, right. and you're programming, quote, with the, the color cards without even having to use a, a device. And it, the, it's a robot, right? So you it'll do what you tell it to do with the cards. It is a great exercise to, to program the human robot so children can program other children and then program Marty and duplicate their program with, with a, a digital mechanical robot as well as a, a biochemical robot uh, being the human. Yeah, that's, uh, there's, um, I, I, my students keep asking like, we need to have like 10 of these. I'm like, I don't know if I could have 10 my band-aid covered it. I don't have enough stickers actually for all of them, but I, I like that students can work together they can explore it. And then, like I said, my classroom, when we've used Marty, you know, I really didn't do that much. I mean, I talked about where I got Marty from, you know, we looked at like humanoids, other humanoid robots mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what is a humanoid? And then they were, you know, curious about like, why does he move like that? And how does he function? And so it does open up a lot of discussions. And some of the questions they would ask, I didn't necessarily know the answers to, but it's a, a learning experience, you know, as educators, moving us from being like the one who's just giving the information, students are just sitting there and consuming it, to then shifting. And we're like co-learning with them, we're collaborating, we're facilitating, and then we're just letting them like, take it and run with it, which is what I love the most about it. Um, and then for Marty specifically, Marty can also scale to the upper grades as well. We've talked a lot about kind of black-based coding and unplugged, but uh, Marty can also be programmed with Python using your existing uh, Python text editor and 
having access to some super advanced functions and integration with Raspberry Pi to, to make Marty more autonomous and 3D printing lessons. So there's, there's really the whole range from four and five-year-olds doing unplugged lessons all the way up to high schoolers being able to do some of these advanced computing concepts. Yeah, that's that's another reason why I love it whenever you find something that for the different age levels and to avoid the overwhelm too, right? Because there's there's no shortage of, you name it, when it comes to technology and options out there, but being able to find something that if you're working, you know, you're one school and we want students to have opportunities like access, you know, funding is a big deal. So it's not that you need to have like 15 different things for all the different grade levels and content areas. Like you could just have one and everybody's going to find something that meets their interests and their needs, but also allows them to kind of build their skills as they go. And so I love that point that you made. So before we wrap up, is there anything that you would, that we haven't covered that you would like for listeners to know, whether it's about coding, computer science, STEM, Marty, anything, um, advice that you could give any last words? Yeah, I think for me personally, the, the area I'm watching uh, intently right now is just around artificial intelligence. I, I, of course, this has now made its way into the, the mainstream news with uh, generative AI and these large language models um, such as ChatGPT. Uh, but for me personally, I look at it a little bit more from a standpoint of how do we start educating students about what is going on behind the the prompts you know how does the the machine learning and the deep learning actually work and so looking for tools that help introduce what is you know a, a university or postgraduate level concept that can simplify that down to a, a k-12 level and, and be able to introduce some of these basic concepts um, e either software only or I, ideally i'll go back to my um, connection between hardware and software um, to where you can use sensors in hardware um, like cameras or motion sensors or microphones to then integrate that machine learning that students are already using in, in their everyday lives but have you know very little basic understanding of how neural networks and machine learning are actually working um, and so i think that's an important point that over time is going to become more of a foundational knowledge that um, as AI and intelligent machines continue to evolve and grow in our society, um, that's going to become a, a really critical skill. Yeah, I could not agree more. It's every day. It's interesting just to see the different news and all the different tools and things that are out there that now have the AI functionality in them and how it's being used and all the conversations, whether, you know, they're, yay, this is great, or, oh, no, what do we do now? Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's just going to keep us as educators moving and reevaluating and reflecting on our practice and hopefully embracing some risk-taking in our classroom and stop saying the word just before the type of teacher and educator that we are because we have lots of responsibilities, but our biggest responsibility is prepare our students for I mean, today and the future. And we don't know. I mean, looking back five years ago to now, like how many look, look how many jobs didn't exist that now are super popular and how many have decreased in making the prediction for the future. So giving students as many chances and opportunities as they can to like 
get the hands-on learning and to explore emerging technologies and build all of those other skills is uh, definitely what we need to all be doing. Yeah, and and the opportunity I'll build off of that to light that spark early on at a younger age for students. And so they, they can't be what they don't see, they, they can't be what they don't know. And so if we're not doing a good job of presenting the portfolio of options in the future, um, especially um, to young girls and students of color, uh, right. then as they get later in their academic progression, uh, those doors get harder and harder to open for them. Yeah, that's a great point and a great reminder. So thank you, Hal, for joining me today. It's nice to have somebody to talk to on my podcast. Um, great, great to be here. Great conversation. And uh... yeah, it's uh, always, uh, I love learning. And I mean, even when I have my conversations with myself, I usually come up with new ideas where people will respond and say, hey, you know, did you try this? And so that's what I encourage everybody who listens to do, you know, explore some of the things we talked about. I will put some links into the show notes and share those out as well. And be sure to connect with me. Uh, check out Marty from Robotical and all of the show notes and keep on listening to the podcast and we will catch you the next time. And we'll be at ISTE. So if uh, anybody is at ISTE 2023 in Philadelphia, uh, stop by and you can see Marty firsthand. Definitely. And I will be there. So thanks again, Hal. And thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time.